Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Give it up again for those that serve. It's awesome. I'll tell you, I couldn't be more proud of just everything that's gone into VBS and everything accomplished through VBS. And when they say hundreds of hours of work, they were not kidding. I mean, we're here during the weekdays and we see the folks all day long just building the sets and getting things ready weeks ahead of time and just incredible. And if you did not get a chance to come out this year to one of the nights, make it a point next year to come out at least in one night, see what they're doing, see the number of kids here, especially come for the skit at the end, the play, that's always, it's a, a good laugh and a, it's a great lesson as well. But I'll tell you, the commitment, the commitment level of people here is amazing to me. And just case in point, a week ago, Adam Hobbs lost his finger, literally was severed and then reattached and then had to be removed again and that's where you saw him with a cast he still is here as soon as he got out of hospital sunday last sunday noonish he was here working that afternoon and then he was here all week he has his finger taken off as they try to reattach it thursday and then he's back out thursday night working and i'm like he deserves a man card right there. Amen. <laughs> man, I'm like, dude. I mean, some of us, we say, well, I'm running a low-grade fever. I won't make it today. Unless your finger's being detached, you should be here, right? <laughs> Boy, he really set the bar up there. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but, that's, but that's because the heart's in it. I mean, the heart's in it. And, and, but he's just one of many that have that same heart. Nothing's going to stop them. And so... Uh, I bless them. I bless them for blessing us, and uh, we just praise the Lord for good folks like them and many others. And thanks, Corey, Michelle, and all the leadership involved. It was awesome. It was great. It really was. Okay, we got to get rolling and giddy up because we are on a schedule here. Acts chapter 12. We've been working in this chapter concerning Herod Agrippa, but we're looking at character counts. This is the last part. We're looking at, you know, the text we began in verses 1 through 4 and pick it up 18 to 24. So follow with me as we just recap our verses. Let's begin verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod, meaning Herod Agrippa I, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse 18. Then, now remember, during this interlude, Peter has been delivered from prison by the angel, which we'll go back to next week. And so this is the next day after he was delivered. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, 
He examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Remember, 16 of them total. And he went forth from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So he left Jerusalem, which is a higher country, and then went north up to Caesarea along the coast. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. These are coastal cities just north of Caesarea. Uh, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed himself in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Father, as we come to our text this morning, I just ask that you'll just speak to us, move amongst us, and help us. Help us to realize that our character, in and of ourselves, is no good. It's worthless. It cannot accomplish that which you want to accomplish. So you are conforming us into a different character. You are conforming our character into the image of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, that's who we want to look like. That's who we want to emulate. That's who we want people to see us and that they see Jesus in our speech, in our actions, in our behavior, in our thoughts, in everything, Father. So, Lord, all of us are a construction project. All of us are being worked on, even me, Lord. And I ask, keep conforming me to the image of your dear Son, as you have promised to do. So, Lord, today, hide me behind the cross. May people see Jesus. May each of us examine our own hearts and lives and and say, are we looking more like Jesus or more like the old us? Lord, move in our midst as we think of this issue of character And we ask this in Jesus' holy name, and we all worship you with our attention, and we all, in God's name, said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. As I mentioned last week, character counts. The lack of character led to Herod Agrippa's demise, as well as his destruction, when you look at the text. He not only lost his office, he lost his life. But when we think of character, let me just remind us what the definition means character is a pattern of behavior so it's it's something that we get in this habit and it starts becoming a pattern of our life it's a pattern of behavior of thoughts or even feelings but they're based on principles and beliefs as well as moral standards but where do you get those principles from where do you get those beliefs from where do you get those moral standards from as Christians, our worldview and our moral standards all should come from the Word of God. Okay, that was your cue. It's like, yes! Because anything outside of the Word of God are going to be faulty standards and faulty conduct. The Word of God is given to, for us for everything, for life and godliness. So when it comes to character, well, these are those guiding principles based on the Word of God. You know, when you think of character, you could ask questions concerning character. Are you a person of integrity? What do you look at on your computer when no one's around? When someone walks into your office or the room, do you have to change screens quickly? Does your word hold weight to it? 
or is it just hollow intentions? Can you be trusted with someone else's money or someone else's possessions? Who are you when no one is looking? You know, when I think of these questions, the difficulty is we look at this and we hear these questions and the interesting part is it's not how we answer those questions, but it's how others answer those questions about us. You follow me? You see, I believe Herod had a pretty high opinion of himself. And if he said, Herod, could you be trusted? Absolutely, I can be trusted. Herod, are, are, are you one whose word has weight to it and, and, and has integrity to it? He said, oh, yes, that's, that's me all the ways. Herod, are you humble? Oh, I'm so humble. I'm proud of being humble. <laughs> when, when we answer the question for ourselves, it's, let's face it, it's always tainted, isn't it? It's always weighed to one side and it's always weighed to our favor. But the question is, how do others answer those questions about us? Do they see us as people of integrity and honesty? People that they could trust? Do, do they see us as one whose word means something? Well, Herod was one who lacked character. And last week we looked at the first four verses as well as verse 18 19. And we saw character traits that, that were in his life that were just pulling him down. As a matter of fact, these were evidence that he did not have character. We noticed, first of all, last week that he mistreated people. He harassed them. He taunted them. He, he, he did it just because he had no character. So he mistreated those who were under him. He made decisions based on popularity. Remember that? When he saw it please the Jews, he went on. He didn't just harass them. Then he, then he killed James. Then when he saw that please them, then he didn't just do James. Then he went on to arrest Peter. So he made decisions based on popularity. He then acted irrational in difficult times. When Peter had escaped, when he found out that he escaped, here he acted irrational. Because he escaped, he went and killed 16 guards, four squads of four soldiers each. So he had four, or excuse me, he had four squads, 16 soldiers put to death. That was an irrational decision at best during a difficult time. Well, as we wrap it up concerning his lack of character, we now pick it up in verse 20 as we realize one of the evidence of a faulty character is Herod harbored anger towards others. Notice with me in verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. It's interesting when you look at this word here concerning very angry. It's actually one word. Thumo amekio. Thumo amekio. This word in Greek carries the idea. It means to carry on a war with great animosity. It, it means to be furious, not just upset about something, not just put out with something, not just exasperated about something, but to be furious and to be carrying on this ongoing war. As a matter of fact, the word emphasizes two things, furious and anger and continual action, ongoing. You see, he didn't simply get mad at them or was upset about some indiscretion that they did. 
wasn't mad at the moment and just said, oh, you know, I'm so upset about this. This is something that he has been harboring, excuse me, he has been holding for quite some time. As a matter of fact, if he was not under Roman rule, because remember, Herod was subordinate to Caesar. If he was not under Caesar's rule, he would have gone to war with Tyre and Sidon. That's how angry and furious he was with them. However, he could not do it because he was under the Roman authority. Tyre and Sidon, on the other half, even tried to placate Herod. Tried making friends with him, made friends with the personal aid, hoping to influence Herod in this area. They came with one accord, hey, you know, we're all in this together. And they didn't just expect peace. They asked for peace. Can we have peace between us? Can we work this out? They wanted peace, but Herod wanted nothing to do with it. He didn't want peace between them. He was harboring anger in his heart. He was furious. As a matter of fact, it says he has been. In other words, it's past and he continues to be to the present. He had anger in his heart, and that was one of his greatest character flaws when it came to these people. You know, harboring anger. All, well, let's, let's, before we get to harboring, has anyone ever been angry? All right, we all have some, two hands, foot, you know. We've all been there, felt that. But harboring anger is a character flaw. It's a crack in our character. It's a flaw in our character. It is an area that if we are harboring anger, God says, you know, I've got to fix that. I cannot let you continue harboring that kind of anger. As a matter of fact, even if the anger was justified at the moment, and we call it righteous indignation, and there is righteous indignation. There are things that we should be angry at. Be angry, the scripture says, but sin not. You know, so there's a time that we could be angry at something that is sinful. We could be angry at something that took place that was an injustice. But that doesn't give us a right to now harbor that anger and hold that anger and let that anger then become bitterness that sits down in the very root of our being. And no matter how good an administrator you are, or manager, or governor like Herod was, Internal anger will sabotage your leadership. It will sabotage you. As a matter of fact, even when it comes to finding friends, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 24 tells us, Make no friendship with an angry man. Make no friendship with an angry man. So if you see somebody and they have the character trait of being an angry person. And you know who they are. they got a chip on their shoulder and they're upset about everything and mad about everything. But maybe they look like they're in control, like Herod. There's a lot of people that chummed up to Herod and a lot of the priests moved into his palace. But the scripture says, no, don't make friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. Interesting, the priests of all people and the scribes, they knew the scripture. And yet they moved into Herod's palace. Here a man, like his father, like his grandfather, harbored great anger. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, An angry man stirs up strife. Another way of saying it is a troublemaker. If you know someone that's got a chip on their shoulder, of course it's not the person in the mirror, but I'm talking about someone else. 
It always seems wherever they go, trouble stirs behind them. Everything can be calm, but once they open their mouth and start talking, next thing you know, there's animosity in the room. Scripture says an angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Remember, transgression is not just sin. Sin's missing the mark, crossing the line. But to trespass means to be on the other side of that line. To transgress means to continue on that other side. So a furious man, he says, abounds in transgression. He abounds in staying on the other side of the line, and he likes to be on that side. As a matter of fact, there are some who are angry, and they don't want to be placated. They don't want to lose. They, they find power and strength in their anger. They p- find power and strength in their control of other people through their anger. And so they, they don't want to be placated. Now, I've I got to admit something. There's been times in my life, yes, there have been, where I've been angry and upset. I, I have even woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Yes. And I've been in what I call a, a funk. And you know what? Sometimes I don't want to be out of that funk. You know, I'm just going to stay here for a while. You, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm in a funk. Oh, better get out of this in a hurry. Oh, man, I feel so much better. You're like that, but I'm not like that. Sometimes I'm, like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Are you sure you're fine? Oh, yes, I'm fine. Are you sure? I told you I'm fine. And we prove it by, you know, you know what I mean? We all can get like that. We all can have these character traits, if you will, or lack of character. We can have these moments, but this is different. Herod didn't just hold anger he and a grudge he didn't just wasn't just upset with them he harbored it he made anger a safe haven within him and he even looked reasons to and ways to get back at the people he was angry at you know when i look at this text i have to ask you and i ask myself does someone come to your mind that causes you to be angry when there's a mental image that rises when we think of someone, maybe you've been harboring bitterness at for quite a while. Let me tell you, that bitterness started with anger. You were angry at them. You may have been furious with them. But then that bitterness sunk in. And then whenever that person or persons or group or whatever, occupation, whatever it is, whenever that comes to your mind, you could feel your blood pressure start rising. You feel your heartbeat start racing a little bit faster. You feel this... I don't know, maybe a a grip in the back of your neck. God bless you. Does someone come to your mind when you think of this right now? Maybe a family member. Maybe a church member. Maybe your pastor. That's a scary thought. Someone once said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You ever thought of that? You're the one that drinks the poison, but you're waiting for them to die. And yet it's killing you. And then what even makes it worse, if you've ever experienced such a thing, is that while you're upset about them or what they did, they go along their merry way. And that makes you even more upset, doesn't it? It's like drinking poison, but you're waiting for them to die. And they're not dying. 
they just go on their way and they, they act like nothing ever happened. And maybe in their mind, nothing ever did happen. You ever notice that sometimes? Maybe it was misread on our side and we're furious about it for quite a while. Praise God it doesn't happen in our midst. Friends, harboring anger, we need to let it go. I mean, you need to let it go. You need to take it to the Lord. You need to ask forgiveness for that person or grant forgiveness for that person. You know, you may have an opportunity to go and say, you know what, this really got under my skin. This really set me off. I've been upset about this for who knows how long. And it's amazing. I found people that have gone to someone else that made them furious and they've been harboring this anger for years. And then the other person never even knew about it. Never even realized. I said, really? I didn't even know that happened. I shared with you a man one time that was mad and left the church. And when I went to find out what the problem was, because on a Wednesday night in another church, another state, another location, literally, I was talking to someone. They're engaged with me about an issue that was very serious in their life. And people were filing in. And when he went by, I didn't shake his hand. Well, that would have been tough because I didn't even know he went by. I wasn't even focused on it. I was focused on this person. But when he went by, I didn't shake his hand. He was ultra sensitive. He was upset. He's mad. He doesn't care about me. Friends, I care about you. I love you, even if I don't shake your hand. You on? I'm serious. If I shake your hand, it may be a sign that I don't love you and I have germs on it. I'm just giving them to you. <laughs> so if I don't shake your hand and say, man, pastor loves me, man. He wants me around. You know, we, we think, well, that's silly. But this guy was upset for quite a while until I finally got it out of him. He wouldn't even say it. He just sat there in the room. And his wife says, oh, Harold, we'll call him. Why, why, why don't you just tell him what it is? Because she was upset that he was being, oh. Well, okay, you filled in the blanks quite well. <laughs> Come on, man. And she was just like, <sighs> and when it came out, I was kind of flabbergasted myself. And I tried to reel back a month or, or so earlier to the event. I couldn't. And then I remembered that turning point. And I, anyways, listen, the bottom line is if you harbor anger, bitterness, if someone's coming to your mind right now and you don't give that person to Jesus and you don't put them under the blood of Christ, and you don't forgive them the same way that God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus, that is a character flaw, and that will affect your effectiveness in life, and it will affect your personal characters. People see you. And then you may turn into the Proverbs, the angry person and nobody wants to be around, or should be around. Secondly, not only did he harbor anger, Herod's character flaw is he liked people to be at his mercy. Did you notice that in verse 20? At the end of the verse, it says, Because their country, of Tyre and Sidon, was supplied with food from the king's country. He likes to keep people at his mercy. He likes to keep them under his thumb. He likes to be in a place where they needed him. And he had what they needed. And he would dole it out as he saw fit. And he would always keep them on a short leash. And he'd always keep it where they, they literally were coming and begging him, 
trying to, trying to please him and say, hey, we want peace. Can't we just work this thing out? And he didn't want to work it out. Why? Because he liked to have them at his mercy. He liked to have them right where he had them, under his control. <clears throat> Excuse me. And even though he could not do anything against them, because he's under the uh, rule of Rome, even though he couldn't act against them, he still controlled these folks by how he handled the food that went to them. And remember, Tyre and Sidon, this was not some foreign country looking for foreign aid. This wasn't another country coming in looking for foreign aid. This was all part of the same Roman Empire. So they were part of the same Roman Empire. And if word got back to Caesar, which they could have appealed to Caesar about what Herod was doing, Herod would have gotten a lot of trouble. The Herods were always in trouble with Rome and always uh, button heads with Rome, but, but they kind of put up with them as long as they kept the peace down there. Because remember, at this time in history, they're busy over trying to conquer the British Isles. So they're on the other side of Europe. They're Western Europe. And they, they just, just keep the peace back there. Just do what needs to get done. So Herod, knowing where Caesar's attention was somewhere else, he possessed a what I call passive-aggressive behavior. He couldn't be aggressive against them like he wanted to. But very passively, he just held the food back. Give it out a little bit. Keep them at his mercy. Bottom line was, he controlled them because he wanted them always to need him. Gave him a sense of power. So I ask you, do you like to keep people dependent on you? Do you like to keep people in a place where they have to come to you and ask you for whatever it is? Always, you are the one that holds their need. And, and, and you, could, you could just give it out to them freely, but you always keep a, a line that they got to cross, a, a, a thing that they have to do, a genuflect that they have to show, something to say, would you please help in this area? Are you one that holds back what someone else needs? By the way, we see this in a workplace, and they call it job security. You ever heard that phrase? Job security. For those who don't know what it means, it's when someone withholds information, training, skill, or material in order to secure their position. In other words, they have a job, and there's others that depend on him doing his job, but but they can only go so far in their job because this one's hoarding and holding that information. They don't want anyone else to know it. Because why? Because if they know it, then they can do it. And then they won't need this person. You know what I'm talking about? The problem with that behavior is though it may seem like job security, and to an extent it may give you some job security, the fact of the matter is is actually insecurity. It may be job security, but it's personal insecurity. In other words, you're not secure in yourself and the job you do and, and how you act and your performance in your position. So you have to create a way where you're absolutely needed and indispensable. So it's in an attempt to have job security, you're actually showing personal insecurity. You follow me on this? That's a character flaw. That's all like, wait a minute. You know, we have to be able to say, you know what? I'm not here because I have a great boss. I'm not here because I'm so needed here. I'm here because God's placed me here. 
God's allowed me to have this job. And, and Scripture says promotion does not come from the north or the south or east or west, but promotion comes from the Lord. I think it's time that we, especially as Christians, realize that, you know what, I may be doing this as my occupation, but I'm not here to serve them. I'm here to serve the Lord. And He's more concerned with my character than my job security. And so if I am insecure myself, it means that I'm also insecure in the Lord. I need to find a place where I said, you know what, I, I need to be secure in the Lord. And I need to say, you know what, I know that my character counts before the Lord. And though everyone else, it may mean nothing to them, before God, I would walk uprightly before God. And I will not create my own power by withholding that which others need. I will not create my own security by making others at my mercy and making others have to come and make sure they get it from me. Now, bless God that though we see this in the workplace, this never happens to us and we will not fall to this fault. Amen? I hear more, oh no. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lure, it's a temptation to keep that little box tight around you, to keep that job. But you know what? When, you, when you're open, when you're willing to be vulnerable in those areas and say, you know what? And you start putting your trust in the Lord, who knows? Maybe they may say, you know, we don't really need you here anymore. But does that mean life is falling apart and God's not in control anymore? No. That means God's got something better for you. And sometimes God's got something better for us and it's our character flaws that try to keep this job security that keep us from going to what God has for us. You follow me on this? We have to say, all right, Lord, my trust is in you. Lastly, not only was he one that kept people at his mercy and harbored anger, but he projected an image of infallibility. He projected an infallible image. And notice I'm saying he, he's projecting this. I'm not saying he was infallible. But he projected it. Verse 21. And so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Not just a speech, but this was something. It's, it's interesting because in this root word is, is also a word to pray. I, I believe it's in Espanol, ora, to pray, to, to speak to God. And so he, he gives this speech to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God. They just kept shouting this. Translation. We don't care what you say. We just want you to know what we think about you. That's really the translation. They weren't listening to him. They just wanted that Herod to say, oh, they're such good people. Okay, here's your food. Because remember, he's speaking to them. He's speaking to these folks from Tyre and Sidon that came down with one accord and were asking for peace and asking for help. So Herod, when you look at him, he loved to sit on his throne. Herod loved to be part of the third generation of Herods. Remember, Herod means hero. His grandfather named himself the great hero, Herod the Great. And so he loved to be the third generation of these great heroes. He loved to be part of the dynasty. He loved wearing his royal apparel. Don't I look fancy? And he put on that royal apparel. And it's interesting, there's, there's, when you see detail in Scripture, there's a reason why God puts the detail there. 
And he says, I want you to know something about it. It wasn't just that he went out and, and, and gave a speech and oration. But he went out with all the pomp and circumstance before he gave this. And he made sure, he, he could have gone through his personal aid. They've already had a connection with Blastus. He could have gone to Blastus and said, hey, okay, make sure they release the food and get it to these people ASAP. But he said, no, no, before I release anything, I need to talk to them. And I need to make sure that they recognize who I am as their king. And I made, need to make sure that they recognize that I'm the one who sits on the throne here. And by the way, do you remember what city he was in? Caesarea. The city not named after him, named after Caesar. When you look at that, you realize, guess what? His character flaw was also a learned character flaw from Caesar. Because Caesar was considered a god under Rome. Caesar was one, when he spoke, it was infallible, and, and you had to listen. So, so here, his boss was one he emulated his life after. He said, this is how my boss is, and everyone treats him as a god. I want everyone to treat me the same way. So he put his royal apparel on. He loved the praise and even the worship of these people. to say, voice of a god and not a man. You see, it wasn't merely loving the attention. But he wanted to project an image. He wanted to project an image that he was infallible. Incapable of making a mistake. Incapable of being wrong. These are the folks that we love so much. These are the people that think that they're perfect, think they're flawless, think they're infallible, think that they are never wrong. These are the type that, even if they're proven wrong, somehow they really weren't wrong in their mind. Even if all the facts say they're wrong, somehow they can't admit that they were wrong. Somehow it goes full circle back to whoever it was that may have proven them wrong. This is the type... It never seems to apologize. This is the type that never asks for forgiveness. They are a legend in their own minds. But only their own minds. <laughs> These are the type of people that would say, I remember I made a mistake once. I thought I was wrong, but I really wasn't. You see, it's all about projecting an image of infallibility. The sad part is the only one that they're fooling is themselves. Because the fact of the matter is, no one else believes it. They just go along with it. Especially if this person is in a position of power. So even though they project this image of infallibility, even though they project this image that they're never wrong, no one else, though they go along with it, they know the truth. They know the fact that, that this person is just as fallible as everyone else. You see, friends, one of the hardest things to do as a leader, as a boss, as a parent, one of the hardest things to do is allow others to see what they already know. To allow others to see what they already know. Projecting an image of infallibility, projecting an image that you're not capable of making a mistake, is trying to tell them something that they know is not true. So when we realize that we need to stop putting on this facade, when we realize that all of us know there's only one person that is infallible, there was only one person that ever walked this earth that was perfect, and his name is not Tim Conboy. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I will guarantee, I, these are, there's some things in life I can guarantee. This is one of them. I will make mistakes. I know you haven't seen any, right? <laughs> I will fall flat on my face. I will go directions and say, oh man, why, why did I do that? And, and the thing is that I'm not infallible and you're not infallible. We are all made of the same material, aren't we? Trouble comes when we want to project an image that ah, we didn't make any mistake. The sooner we stop trying to project an image, the sooner we become better leaders, better bosses, better parents, and a better person. Why? Because character does count. Let people see that you're vulnerable. You see, when you look at Herod, he allowed his ego to blind him. He allowed his ego to blind him, and he lived in an unreal world, and he couldn't see that his own ego is the very thing that sabotaged him. It was his ego. It wasn't any coup. It wasn't any overthrow. It was himself. He took the glory that belonged to God, and he says, yes, I am that person. And God struck him just like that. And because of his lack of character, he lost everything. So look at Herod. Learn from Herod on what not to do. And look at your life, as, as I, I need to do even in my own life. We need to look at, look at patterns of behavior. How am I acting? Do I, how do I treat those who are underneath, excuse me, underneath me? Do I make decisions based on popularity? Do I act irrational sometimes during difficult times? Am I a person that harbors anger inside towards someone else? Do I like to keep people under my mercy and under my thumb? And do I project an image that's not pleasing to God? These are areas I, once we examine, say, Lord, help me, show me, reveal these areas and help me to be more like Jesus and less like myself. Amen? Boy, if we could be more like Jesus, whoo, we'd be doing something good, huh? Amen? And the more and more we mature and become like him, the more we see, boy, God has a big smile and said, that's the image I'm creating you into. That's the image. Father, we bless you, we worship you, we praise you. We praise you for the fact that your word says, for you know what we are made of, that we are but dust. You know what we're created with. You know that we're just glorified dirt. And yet, you love us, Lord. And you are gracious to us, and you're forgiving to us. And, and, and you have made us perfect in Christ Jesus, but in our practice... We need to live more like Jesus. In our character, we need to reflect Jesus. So, Father, we bless you for this day. Work in our lives. Move in us, Lord. Take out this heart of bitterness that we might have towards somebody. Yes, maybe we've been wrong, but, Lord, take that from us. We need to let it go. Help us, Father, to be secure, even when it seems like it's an area of insecurity. Letting go of things that we hold back for that job security. Help us to be sure, have our security in Christ and not in our actions and behavior. We love you, Lord. Move in our midst, we pray. Speak to us. Bring healing to our midst. Bring help to our character. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.